0: Hello, welcome to this week's podcast. I am Martin Brown. Last September, Doathan reported from Bangladesh, where tens of thousands of Rohingya refugees were pouring into camps on a daily basis as they fled from a brutal military crackdown in Myanmar. Chaos reigned as bewildered families set up makeshift shelters with anything they could get their hands on. Many people who had made the frightening journey across the border had arrived with nothing. Deliveries of food supplies caused pandemonium. The few aid agencies who were on the scene struggled to cope. We heard harrowing stories of murder, rape, massacres, and villages being burned to the ground in what has now been described by many independent experts as a genocide. Last week, we revisited the refugee camps to see how life has changed in the past eight months. What we witnessed was a very different, but no less demanding situation. Almost 1 million Rohingya refugees who have been forced to flee their country are now at the mercy of a new threat, the monsoon and the cyclone season. This time, they cannot run, and cannot hide. It's the staggering size that takes your breath away when you first set foot inside Kutipalong. The world's largest refugee camp, home to around 600,000 of the 915,000 Rohingya refugees in Bangladesh. Ramshackle shelters made out of bamboo, old bits of grubby tarpaulin, mud, and plastic stretch as far as the eye can see. Some are perched precariously on the side of steep, barren slopes while the others hug rubbish strewn ravines. They are packed so closely together that it takes guesswork to navigate the never-ending maze of narrow alleyways. People are everywhere in this city of bamboo, crammed cheek-to-cheek and living in slum-like conditions. Rather than being despondent and waiting for handouts, the Rohingya are hard at work frantically battening down the hatches as the marauding monsoon wind and rain arrives. Mountains and materials are being used to make shelters stronger. Bamboo, timber, rope and wire are everywhere. Wherever I turn, people are busy building. The noise resonates around the camp. A never-ending trail of men carrying thick trunks of bamboo strain every sinew as they struggle past along the main arteries of the mega camp to fortify their homes. Dust-covered children pass by heaving bags of clay on their heads, carrying firewood or digging the soil with pickaxes in the searing heat. The younger ones scrounge for plastic or play with improvised toys made of sticks and wood. Others splash about in muddy green ditches, which are likely to be riddled with waterborne diseases. Many of the shelters are crammed with women looking after babies or cooking family meals using their meagre supplies of rice, flour and potato paste. Despite the Herculean human efforts, Mother Nature could devastate the camps. Just a quick rain shower turns the narrow, rutted paths and roads into a quagmire, leaving me slipping and sliding and seeking cover. A major storm or cyclone would be utterly devastating. The outlook looks ominous as the area near Cox's Bazaar has been battered by cyclones for three years running. Sobering messages are being circulated by some aid agencies warning that there are no official community cyclone shelters in which families can safely take refuge. Landslides are inevitable with three metres of rain expected to fall here in the next 16 weeks. What was once an area of lush National Park is virtually barren. But all the trees and their roots having been used for firewood. One landslide has already claimed the life of a young girl killed during pre-monsoon rains. Many refugees I spoke to live in fear of what lies ahead. Sitting on a pile of bamboo poles needed to strengthen his home, 75-year-old Abdul Shamar said the monsoon could be a matter of life or death.
1: I live here with my wife, granddaughter and grandson so I think I have to hire someone to make the hearts, build the hearts stronger. If, if the UNHCR, if you, you mean UNHCR, will not help us, we would have to die.
0: I later clambered to the top of a steep muddy hill in the heart of Kutipalong camp where I met Koshida, a 25-year-old mother, nursing her one-year-old son, Abdullah, who was suffering from pneumonia. But Abdullah's health was not her only matter of concern. Moving her family's precarious shelter down the slope to a safer position is equally important.
1: Not, Not only fall down the hill, also water come out water come into the house from the hill so we must have to move that side
0: in one of the least protected parts of the camp Rafik Sadek said the first storm to hit this year easily tore the roof off his makeshift home
1: yeah last time the wind blown up blow up my roofs. But I again repair it with what I have because I have to stay here with the kids and the family have mm-hmm. no place to go. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was terrific because it was dark, darkness everywhere, every it was night that happened and I have, have no time to repair, no stuff to and repair again. So we people just went to other places and taken shelter there. And all the children got wet, got wet, and also some other families.
0: Rafiq pauses as he recalls how his father was killed and his three-year-old son was hit in the head by a bullet during an alleged massacre in the Myanmar village of Chut last August. Although he says he feels safer in the refugee camp, he's worried about the monsoon.
1: Yeah, I feel worried. I feel worried and got fear about that. Where will I go if because during rainy seasons the cyclone storm must become. So even I. Thinking, from the thinking, I feel sick.
0: Humanitarian agencies have been warning of a looming disaster for some months. One of the reasons that homes are so flimsy is that aid workers have not been allowed to provide more sturdy materials, such as concrete, brick, timber and corrugated iron sheets, to build more durable shelters. Since people have started arriving in Bangladesh, families have only been permitted to build out of emergency shelter materials, such as plastic sheeting. With no plumbing, refugees rely on latrines, many of which are less than five feet deep and, if flooded, could spread sewage across the densely packed camps. Nearly one-third of latrines have been dug close to wells that supply drinking water, creating an acute risk of contamination and outbreaks of diseases such as cholera. Aside from disease, there are countless other medical needs for the refugees, none more so than that of pregnant mothers. The UN has said that around 60 babies are born every single day inside the camps. Many, as is normal among the Rohingya population, are born at home, albeit in makeshift shelters. But increasing numbers of emergency births take place inside the field hospitals which have been set up around the camps. Doathan was invited into a Red Cross and Red Crescent emergency field hospital to see what medical facilities are available for refugees, particularly pregnant mothers. The hospital's team leader, Raja Anderson, explained the types of patients who are treated every day.
2: An outpatient department there and and triage area for emergencies and uh, and this is really this is the Red Cross and Red Crescent emergency hospital so most of the patients are referred from other places from clinics and other hospitals for special care Um, particularly the maternity gets really complicated only there are very complicated cases of deliveries and and we do almost daily cesarean sections here because we have the operation theater open 24 7. Yeah it's yeah could be both end, but the thing is that that most of the mothers deliver at home and then maybe they search for help from the health clinics later and then it's as well that they wait and and then then they realize that they cannot do the normal normal delivery and then they are repaired here so they, this is the last place that they can
3: get the help.
0: Everywhere you go in the refugee camps there is the unmistakable sound of children. Sadly thousands of them are orphans because of the horrors that unfolded in their homeland. Many get good support from NGOs but one orphanage I visited was struggling to provide for the children there. Shamjida Begum who is from Mongdore in Myanmar, helps run the orphanage with limited support from the Health Management BD Foundation, a Bangladeshi NGO. He teaches the children English, among other things, but said many of them don't have sandals, umbrellas, and he is unable to provide them with biscuits like other orphanages. Yeah, it's difficult
3: actually, the rainy season already started. So on the way, there is muddy and children have no shoe and the sandals on their foot. So it's very difficult. In every schools, the children get biscuits from WFP, but the children here who read, they cannot get any biscuits. So this is the most important to me because other children who have friends, they are getting biscuits, but this kid, but these children are orphans. No father, no mothers. They are living with other family relatives, but these children are not getting any biscuits from any agencies. So it's very important for me. If you can just try to Okay, I okay. will.
0: Okay. Myanmar and Bangladesh agreed in January to complete the voluntary repatriation of the Rohingya refugees within two years, but most don't believe it's safe enough yet and say their homes have been destroyed. The United Nations and aid agencies have described last year's crackdown as a textbook example of ethnic cleansing, while Yang He Lee, the UN Special Rapporteur on Human Rights in Myanmar, says the situation had the hallmarks of a genocide. So far, Myanmar authorities have convicted soldiers in only one case, jailing seven soldiers for ten years for their role in the massacre of 10 Rohingya in Indin Village. Two Reuters journalists who have investigated the massacre are still being detained and now face up to 14 years in jail under the Myanmar Official Secrets Act. Meanwhile, Nobel Prize winner and former political prisoner Aung San Suu Kyi has faced widespread global criticism over her refusal to speak out on the alleged atrocities. Despite what is and isn't being said or done by governments around the world, the suffering for almost one million people continues every day. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Doathan. This programme was put together this week by Martin Brown, Zani, and Atep. The project to support human rights reporting is a partnership between Frontier Myanmar and Foundation Hirondelle, funded by the Embassy of the Netherlands in Myanmar. Thanks for listening.